Take it away! Welcome to League One Fun. We're presented by the Beautiful Game Network and brought to you by Roughneck Scarves. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. Look, I, mean, I said it once. I'm going to say it again. We have a lot of listeners. We don't have a lot of a lot of reviews. We need some more reviews. Just click it. It takes a couple of seconds. You hate us? Give us a one star. I don't care. We need more reviews. Please do that. That voice you heard at the beginning, that was Jason. Jason. I gave us, I gave us one star. I'm not going to lie. We. <laughs> but at least I reviewed, huh? What, what have you all done? Exactly. <laughs> Thanks very much. So, you know, this won't be our last show of the year. We'll try to at the end of the show, we'll talk a little bit about our plans for the uh, the off season. Um, but we did have a League One final. But first, before we review that, let's talk a little bit about news. Not a ton. Firstly, Jason, Inter Miami and the New England Revolution are going to have two teams that are going to join USL League One in the 2020 season. Are are, are we surprised about? I, I guess you know we've been rumored that we were going to have New England for a long time, and not a surprise. It's an OG MLS side, but but Inter Miami, we're going to have a, a two team in year one of Inter Miami. Yeah, I, so that's the that's the part I'm surprised about. It's that. I mean, they even when they showed that weird 3D movie graphic of their stadium renderings, they had had a second stadium for a dedicated two team. I'm shocked it's coming next year. I didn't think that. I don't even know if they have the stadium in place, right? <laughs> like, and for so for them to to be able to roll out a team, you know, in a couple months, that that was shocking news to me. I mean, basically, they're going to need, you know, 40 or 50 players basically between yeah. the two teams, right? So, I mean, I mean, they might share some of the roster, but if you, you know, you have 15, 15 or 20 guys for the first team and 15 or 20 for the second team, and then they and then they share five or 10 players, it's still, yeah, it's a lot of players that they're going to have to start finding. So, um, I wonder if anyone from Lansing Ignite will wind up in Miami, because that is the other news that continues to break. Um, Jason, I think instead of reviewing everything that we found out over the last week, we should just point people to two podcasts that are uh, have a lot of that information. So do you want to talk a little bit about Capital Combustion and um, maybe hit one or two highlights there that surprised you? Yeah, uh, Capital Combustion sat down with um, Jeremy, and I think it was just a very passionate and transparent interview jeremy sampson for those who don't know general manager of the team um was the what pretty much was the one who brought coach nate miller um over to lansing ignite from lansing united um was extremely just transparent honest and you can tell you know genuinely loves that community and that team uh, i think weston and cam did great jobs of asking questions and also being transparent and not you know, being too one-sided. And so it's a great, great podcast interview, probably the best one that they've had. Um, And that's not to knock their other episodes. It's just that was exactly if you want to know what's going on, it's, it's a good one to check out. And in a way, it was, I think, cathartic for those people who um, were, were big fans of what Lansing Ignite had been doing, including myself. Um, I actually spoke to Jeremy Sampson. We're, we're speaking on Tuesday night. I spoke to him Tuesday morning. We'll dr- I'll drop that interview. It's it's a bit shorter than Capital Combustion. Hits on a lot of the same topics. But, um, so in a way, it's kind of the cliff notes of what you heard on Capital there Combustion. And for people drop. who have the short commute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so that will drop uh, Wednesday night. Uh, it's already scheduled and it, it'll be up there. Um, J- Jeremy, by the way, is just a fantastic fellow. And I, I, from, I wish him the best. I, I'm sure Jason does as well. So Absolutely. 
So shall we move on to the last match of the season, Jason, and get a little bit more chippy here? I got I got one question for you. Let's do a pred- prediction uh, before we jump into to that. For New England two team, are we getting a new logo? Or are they going to use the same 1996 Microsoft Word art? Uh, or paint Microsoft I'm, Paint logo. I'm guessing they they throw either a Roman numeral two or an Arabic number two in the middle of that logo. <laughs> that listen at that point I'm not even mad, right? If it's just like here's my thing: if you aren't going to change the logo in the next like now that you have a two team and now that you're rebranding, you have you just have to keep that logo forever, right? And you'll just be known as the team that has had the same logo forever. Yeah, that would be. I mean, that would be fine with me. I, I, I yeah. like some of the OG logos. I mean, uh, you know, as a as an old Metro Stars fan, I you know I, I miss the old some of the old stuff. I, I want a throwback jersey like uh, as a second kit. That would be you, great. You mean you miss winning playoff games and? Well, we've won some playoff games, just not to you guys, uh, mm. just, just not to Atlanta mm. and not to Philly either. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was yeah. there, by the way. So, so yeah, that, that's so. So just to tell you a little bit about my weekend, here's how my weekend went. My I, my son played in the semifinals. Well, he actually sat on the bench at the semifinals of his JV high school uh, tournament. So they uh, they won on penalty kicks. It was very exciting. That was on Friday night. On Saturday morning, I got on an airplane, went to Dallas Fort Worth, went up to Frisco, Texas, watched the final, and then got on an airplane Sunday morning, flew back into Philadelphia International Airport, drove down to Chester, New Jersey, where I got soaking wet watching my team lose in 120 minutes to the Philadelphia Union 4-3. to So it was uh, – and then I drove home. And uh, and then I started to do the show notes for this podcast. So it's been a, a pretty much a soccer weekend for me. <laughs> uh, well, I saved a bunch of money on my car insurance by switching the Geico. So <laughs> hey, hey, they didn't really had no exciting weekend. So fair enough. So Saturday night, seven o'clock Eastern time was North Texas SC versus the Greenville Triumph in Frisco, Texas at Toyota Stadium. There were over 3,000 people in attendance. They had just, most of them had just watched, been to a watch party watching FC Dallas lose to the Seattle Sounders, also in 120 minutes on a Jordan Morris hat trick. They were not happy people when they, when that match started, I can tell you that. Yeah, but I I think it was a, that was probably the most fun match of the weekend. So, and or granted, what Lucci has done with that team, I I would have thought they would have been happy. You know, not happy, right? But they would have been okay because that they, team fought back. They put it in the extra time. You know, I, I thought it was a fun game. Yeah, they were very disappointed. I can say I was up in the press box <laughs> with all the local, um, you know, Dallas, Fort Worth, Frisco area press people, and they were they were disappointed. I mean, they're, that's, just, that's, they're just they're just spoiled. I'm I'm not worried about that. <laughs> well, maybe that's it. But anyway, I can tell you that after. After the game started, though, you know, there was there was a pretty decent vibe. I mean, like any, you know, 15,000 seat stadium or, or whatever they have there at Toyota Stadium, um, you know, with 3000 people and it didn't look very full, but it was pretty loud. And the supporters came out again. Um, wasn't quite as many people, I think, as they had in the semifinal. They were talking about uh, how there, there were a few less, but it was it was a decent vibe and, and the pitch looked good. Um, they definitely, uh, they definitely pulled out all the stops. They were, um, they, they were ready for it. Um, you know, they were selling all kinds of merch and stuff. A, a lot of merch even sold out, uh, before I could get some for you, Jason. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so sure. I, I did look, you know, mm-hmm. trust me. You wanted a jersey. There were no jerseys I left. I did. I did. But here's the real questions. Did they have empanadas like Tormenta does? Oh, I don't know. I was mm. in the press box. I didn't I didn't go for the food. So sorry. <sighs> Priorities are we, we yeah. gotta talk. We gotta talk after this. So so let me say something. When I rewatched this match um Sunday night, one of the things that I did notice was that they had the two man um announcing crew, which uh, you know, up to this point the only team that had any any two man crews were um were Sue Greenville Triumph with our, our friend uh, Ross Devonport. Uh, as the as the color commentator, so I really like that. I, I think it gave a different vibe to the to the call of the game. Did did you notice that, Jason? And you know, what did you think about that? Yeah, and they definitely one of the things I liked about him was going into detail of explaining what was kind of going on on the field, right? So for people who may not have been a uh, familiar with North Texas playing style or Greenville, they were kind of breaking down exactly what was going on, you know, with Greenville's press and why they were pressing and what, you know, talking about trying to disrupt North Texas building from the back. And so, I, yeah, I really thought it, it was great commentary and uh, it was a good representation to people who might have been tuning in uh, to check out what the league was about for the championship game. Right. So for North Texas, uh, a couple of notable um, – well, I don't want to say a couple of notable things, but in their lineup, they had a the lineup you'd expect, Ronaldo Damas up top, Atura Rodriguez in there, um, a lot of the people that uh, – other people that you'd expect. But in goal was Kyle Zobeck. Uh, he, uh, you know, basically had only played four matches for the team, I think. I think it was four um, over the course of the season. So he hadn't been playing very much with FC Dallas, didn't go up to Seattle with the team. Instead, started in goal for, um, uh, you know, for the for the home team and ultimately was the hero of the match in many ways. He had seven saves during the during the course in, of the in, match in every way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He put he, that team on his back, uh, and that game would have been very different had he had not been between those posts. Yeah. So if you don't know, North Texas did win this match one to nothing, and even though it, it was scoreless going into halftime, there were a ton of chances. So in in the first half, uh, in the first half, Greenville had six chances. North Texas had uh, North Texas had had four. Um, and you know, the first 15 minutes looked like it was going to be Greenville, Jason. And yeah, you know, it's like you wondered how much they, they were missing Jake Keegan, quite frankly, and something I should have probably asked John Harks in the post-match press conference because, you know, Carlos Gomez couldn't put one away. Uh, you know, Bermudez had a couple of good chances and, and just nothing was falling for them in, uh, in the first half. And they had, they had really three quite good quality chances that, you know, if Weston Shelton was here, he would tell you, you know, their XG was probably over one <laughs> in the first half. So, Whatever that means. Uh, but no, they they came out aggressive. And like you said, they kept position and really pinned North Texas back in their own half. And just to give you an example, within the first 10 minutes, North Texas only had three passes inside of Greenville's half. And out of those three passes, none of them were within 30 yards of the goal. So that tells you right there how that game started and how how much in control Greenville was. And then Jada getting a yellow, a much-deserved yellow, by the way, for that late tackle in the seventh minute. You know, it really looked like Greenville kind of came out there with a plan and was executing it. And like you said, just couldn't finish it, right? They... 
like you know and it's props to Zobek but there was just like you like you said like Gomez would be wide and Bermudez would be just wide and it's one of those things to where you know we talked about it last week in the semifinals Greenville has the defensive shape they have possession can they score and they, do they have someone that they can depend on the score? And it's tough to depend on Gomez for that, right? It's tough to ask someone who is more of a creative midfielder or someone who's a winger to kind of go up top and, and try to do that. And so I think, yeah, I think they really miss Jake Keegan. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So uh, J.J. Donnelly started this match and, uh, you, you know, he, he's just not he's not the finisher that that they need up top. I mean, not that he's a bad player, but he's just not a great a great finisher or hasn't been. Uh, so yeah. some, something I, I think, too, Jason, that, that I want to note um, that over the course of the season, North Texas played 32 different players. Now, really 31, because one of them was a goalkeeper who only had two minutes, by the way. His name is Eduardo Cortez, and I just want that on the record because he's, you know, was literally the 32nd player, and he played two minutes the whole season. But Greenville only played 20 players the whole season. Mm-hmm. Um, they only had 22 players on their roster even uh, on the last day of the season. So, um so you know, and and with Jake Keegan injured, you know that that means that they had to rely on some some pieces that you know didn't have as much you know familiarity maybe with everyone else around them, and I think that that's maybe one of the reasons for the lack of quality in front of goal. Yeah, you had you had the most depth team in the league versus the least depth, right? I think by including the playoffs, North Texas ended up playing thirty eight different players, which is wild, right? And like you said, Greenville played twenty. And I even have in my notes, we were joking last week about, you know, Greenville cramping up towards the end of the game, which looked like a little bit of time wasting. But then you saw it this game, too, at the at the end of, the, you know, when you get to that 75th minute, 80th minute, there were still more players cramping. And I think, you know, when you had those double game weeks at the end of the season and, you know, those those away trips, especially that that Tucson I think it was Tucson and, and Richmond, or there was Tucson and somebody in the same week, and it's just those brutal away trips. I think it really got to them, and you, you saw that in the second half, which we'll get to when North Texas kind of took control of the game. Right, so, uh, so should we go over some of the highlights, maybe starting in the 14th minute where – you know, Christian Bermudez just had – he winds up being wide open on the right-hand side, and um, the, the ball came through the middle, passed to Muhammad. Muhammad made a nice turn, got the ball out to uh, to Bermudez, and Bermudez, you know, tried to hit it above Zobek into the uh, top right corner, but Zobek was able to Don't push it aside. go near post. <laughs> Put that low into the far post and no goalkeeper is getting to it. You don't even have to kick it hard, right? But just the way goalkeepers are positioned, you keep that low in to the left post, that's it. That's that's I, goal. I wonder if if Christian isn't as confident with his right foot because we know that his left foot is just killer, right? right. And and when he cuts inside onto his left and and you know has had a couple of bangers this year. Uh, that one against forward Madison still is like absolutely amazes me, yeah. but but maybe he's just not as confident on his right. So that ball he had to take with his right, and I wonder yeah. if he just didn't you know didn't get his hips around it to to hit yeah. it far post. Absolutely, Christian so. Miguel Almiron Bermudez. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. But in the 18th but, minute, but before in, that, before yeah. that though, we have to talk about Greenville's first chance when Pollock gets through and tries to chip it. Yes, the, so. The, so one thing I noticed Greenville was doing— So this doing, was in the eighth minute, if memory yeah, serves. 
And uh, it started from a Dallas J long ball. And Greenville found a lot of success with their long balls in the beginning. Um, I don't think that North Texas was pressing as much. And they were winning all those long balls and winning the aerials in the middle. And because of that, they were able to have, you know, Muhammad, you know, receive the ball in space, to have Bermudez receive the ball in space. And so that happened from a Dallas J long ball started. Some passes went through. And then finally, uh, I think it was Muhammad. I can't remember. Maybe it was Carlos Gomez who had a great back heel flick to Pollock, who Pollock's one-on-one with the keeper. And again, instead of just going left into the far post, or they he tries to chip it, and he, it ends up going wide. And I, I know, like, and, and Tyler Pollock played an amazing game. I think he was probably Greenville's best player, um, but I, I know he's regretting that one. Yeah, I, I agree. I, and when you know that that's a that's a a difficult shot to take because Zobeck is a pretty tall guy. And uh, he's well over six feet. And obviously, you know, t- when Tyler tried to chip him and the ball went over the, the post, it was definitely a, a chance that, you know, was worth um, was worth taking. But I agree with you, like maybe if he had kept it low and shot it low and hard, it would have been a higher probability. Mm-hmm. Um, so after Bermudez's chance in the in the, the 14th minute, the next uh, big thing was in the 18th minute, uh, Almagar had a, a really nice long-range effort from about 20 yards out. Uh, he came in from the left, put the ball in his right foot, sh- tries to shoot uh, far post, uh, upper 90, and Dallas J makes the uh, Dallas J kind of save <laughs> yeah. and keeps the ball, just knocks the ball around the, around the post. And um, I think that, North that, Texas... That was, that, was the, that was the first time North Texas yep. really really had any kind of good chance and they, it was they the needed it. minute yeah yep they needed it i think they had way too many passes uh in those first 20 minutes right and they would pass 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 and then because there wasn't that space opening up in the middle uh they would long ball it and like i was saying greenville was pretty much winning everything uh when you came to aerials and with the long balls and one thing that you can see if you go back uh i call it the bermudez triangle because you had those front three that were pretty much in a triangle formation and anytime jada or roberts got the ball they would kind of close in on them with this triangle shape to where there wasn't any place to go in between them so that North Texas kept going side to side and found it really difficult to break through. So one of the things that you could really see when you were up really up high in the press box, and I wish there was a camera, like a tactical camera, is you could see the the ranks of 4-4-2 four, four, so clearly from being up very high. It's harder to see uh, in the broadcast because the camera angle is is from is relatively low. So, but but if you look at it from the top, and and I I might post on bgn.fm. I'll do try to do a written piece just on the defensive acumen and what makes that uh, defensive shape so ideal that that Greenville has. And you can see the discipline and uh, and the ranks that that they have to do exactly what you're saying. So if the, if the ball comes out to the right, you wind up having you know the right midfielder back up in between the center back and the right back, and the next thing you know, you know you know there's this there's just this triangle around the player with the ball and and he can't do anything except pass it, uh, you know, vert- horizontally instead of going vertical toward, and I, toward. Yep. And we'll talk about in the second half. I think the only way you beat that in North Texas finally got it together. And I think, you know, props to coach Quill is you have to make those passes faster, right? You have to decide, okay, if I'm passing this to the right, as soon as I get the ball on the right, I'm going to try to throw it into the center so that the triangle doesn't have time to shift over and make its shape. And so 
Um, but, you know, props to Greenville for that first half because they didn't let that happen at all. I, I think North Texas wasn't combining as much. I mean, it, it definitely – and one of the things that Coach Quill said, which which I agree with in um, in the in the press conference afterward, Coach Quill mentioned that he thought that, that the players were playing scared. Like they didn't want to lose the ball. They didn't want to make a mistake. They, they didn't try to combine, right? So they didn't try and do a one-two and run off the ball. Um, but in the second half, clearly they settled down and, and they they uh, they were able to get a uh, uh, you know the goal comes from from that actually I mean it was a defensive error but what, when we talk about it um, it did start with a lot of that inner passing and people moving off the ball mm-hmm. um, but in the 44th minute there was another very good chance by very North good Texas. Chance. yeah I mean I was I, I mean when we saw it I, at first I thought maybe it went in so uh, so do, do you want to talk through this one Jason uh, let me just set it up for you so there was a free kick um, a uh, I don't remember who was taken down it might have been Arturo Rodriguez um, but someone was taken down about 30 yards out from goal I think Greenville was happy to give away free kicks from that kind of range as opposed to you know 20 or 22 yards um, and you know you knew that it was exactly 30 yards because of the football lines that were on the pitch um, and you know Arturo Rodriguez steps up to take the kick and he does and then what happens Jason Dallas J does what Dallas J does. Gets lucky. <laughs> is that, is that, I, I mean, I, so the, I like the to think hit, the that ball hits off the, the post, universe, hits off the Dallas universe J. gifts you if you make the effort, you know? <laughs> so, so, uh, Arturo Rodriguez takes a shot actually toward the near post, uh, goes over the wall and, uh, but and Dallas J, you know, make, dives over toward that side. The ball hits off the post as Dallas J is sliding to his right. The ball hits off the back of Dallas J and then goes out of bounds. It easily could have gone in for an own goal, um, but instead it, it bounced out of bounds. I think actually had it been on target, J may have had it. J may have been and that's, able to. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I think but, he would have had it. But okay. it, it was it was a great shot and a great dive. And as a keeper, I'm just going to tell myself that if you do good things, the universe rewards you. And I think that's what happened with Dallas J. Because I have seen that exact same thing, and it bounced off the keeper's back and got, go into the goal. So it's, um, happened. it's happened to me, but I was also uh, not treating my ex the way she needed to be. So like I said, <laughs> the universe knew I wasn't doing the right stuff. Fair enough. And then right before halftime, I really thought Greenville was going to take the lead like going into the locker room at halftime. <laughs> I do not understand how Bermudez is the strongest 118-pound player of all time. It does not make any sense to me. So from, you, from, I mean, you can talk no, about it. No, you don't understand. He's he's from Union City, New Jersey. Oh. And in Union City, New Jersey, in order to survive, you have to be tough. And yeah. you know, so this is something's in the water this because sure. this is the fourth week in a row. I feel like I'm talking about how people are literally just bouncing off of him as if they're bouncing off a of psych ward walls. It makes absolute no sense. Well, do you want to talk? Do you, do you want to talk about him? Uh, you know, basically. Now, it, was, uh, it was just a great individual effort, right? He he gets 100%. the ball. He beat four North yeah, Texas he beat defenders. Four North Texas. I think it was a Robert who who like tries to ta- tries to tackle him and bounces right off of him. I just don't get it. I, I truly don't understand. Yeah. And then um, yeah, Bermudez just shoots it, and Zobek once again uh, comes off big, and I think he saves it with his foot, right? Um, yeah. has a leg save, and just Zobek was just uh, uh, if you don't. I, I get like I, Ford had a little spicy tweet uh, when they showed the players for 
North Texas, right? I guess because Pepe wasn't there and you had all these different players and they're like, oh, well, they played us with a better team. Uh, but Zobeck and goal was probably the best decision that was made in the city of Dallas in for years because he just was amazing, right? The Cowboys ain't hasn't made a good decision in 20 years. The Mavs are rebuilding. I'm going to give this to North Texas. Zobeck was absolutely incredible in goal. Yeah, he had – so he had uh, – I believe he had four saves in the first half, three in the second, and the three that he had in the second were late and huge. I mean, yep. just like really came up big. So th- so this was a good save. Uh, you know, Evan Lee had actually – I thought had stopped Bermudez, but then the ball bounced out. And like you said, like, you know, when a big guy like Evan Lee hits a guy who's, you know, a, a buck 30 soaking wet – You'd expect that guy to go down or not, or be stunned or something, and instead Bermudez gets the ball in his left foot and and shoots. So yeah, that was, uh, I uh, yeah that that was an effort that if you haven't seen it, you really should because Bermudez, uh, you, you know, was unlucky not to score. Well, not unlucky. I mean, Zobeck came up big. And, yeah. Uh, otherwise, that that's a goal. Yeah, I just it's I I don't get it. I don't know. If maybe he's like a hundred pounds lower body, thirty pounds up you know above his torso i don't get it i don't understand how <laughs> week after week we're talking about multiple players just bouncing off yeah. of him he's got it got a low center of gravity That's it has it. to uh, so going into halftime, you know, nil, nil, uh, both teams come back out. The shape looked very much the same for both teams. Um, I mean, both teams had had a few chances and, and Greenville, I think had to be pretty happy with the way they were defending, but then the, uh, the, the, the breakthrough came in the 60th minute. Dude, it was, you know, who else except that, you know, the person who better be the league MVP, <laughs> Rodriguez ends up getting a goal. And what's interesting is, is that he was only involved at the very beginning of this play until he actually scored. So do, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, about th- this goal at all, Jason, or do you want me to yeah, go through it? You can go through it, but I do want to say I, I brought it up before, right, how Arturo, that's what he does. He's the one that starts the play, and he's also the one that finishes it. And so we were talking about a goal earlier this year, and I think I even broke it down on Twitter about how he started it and then makes these full 70-yard sprints to get downfield to help out in the final third. And he did that constantly throughout the season, and it's what he did this, you know, for this goal as well. So the ball ends up on – it starts on the left side. Atura Rodriguez passes the ball inside to um, to Almaguer. Almaguer um, you know, tries to work it inside to Damis. And, and the, the ball actually – actually, the Greenville defense did a pretty good job where Aaron Walker actually got the ball. But the ball ends up in between – uh, Aaron Walker and Evan Lee, and neither of them stepped up to actually clear it out. Um, well, both also, were, yeah, go is, ahead. Is the reason why too though is that Dame is dummy. Yeah, yeah. So, well, Damus Damus attempted to dummy it, but I, I don't think it was the dummy though that that did it. I think literally both of them, Aaron and Evan, looked at each other and said, you know, hey, are you going to take this? Are you going to take this? And and they didn't want to like kick each other. And instead, you know, the ball bounces, winds up bouncing out to Atura Rodriguez, who just takes it on his right foot and hits it far post. Yeah, but um, I, I do think that because of the dummy, I don't think that they were both either prepared for it. You know what I mean? I think both of them, when that cross came in, thought, okay, Damis is going to collect this, and then we're going to close in on him. And because he didn't, and he let it go, and then it bounced off of, I think, Evan Lee, 
it was one of those things to where it was just even if it's just a second of hesitation like oh he didn't collect that this is on me oh wait someone else is next to me who's going to clear it and that's too much time before arturo or damis i think it was damis who kicks it again and then it deflects back to arturo right yeah yeah it was that it was that after the after damis tried to uh Tried to get the ball. But yeah. regardless, you know, Antonio Rodriguez's finish was not a particularly hard shot, but it was excellently placed. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, right in the corner. And Dallas J had, you know, had really no shot of, of getting that. What, which post was it? It was the far post. The mm, right post. Wow. Yeah. A low far post shot that doesn't even <laughs> have a lot of power needed. Who would have ever thought? Uh, Mr. Bermudez, are you listening? <laughs> Take some hints from uh, Antonio Rodriguez. <laughs> All right. Uh, but that being said, you know, so a couple of tactical changes occurred. There was uh, so there were two really interesting things that happened at this point. So one is um, it was pr- very clear that Coach Harks went to three in the back and tried to push up more numbers into the attack. Went to a three-four-three. He admitted that later, although you just have to look at you know what was going on in the pitch that that you knew that that some kind of of attacking change occurred. Uh, but this created a couple of chances for Carlos Gomez in the 64th minute and the. 68th minute. Jason, I was, you know, it was interesting because at this point I really thought that, that coach Harks in particular uh, would substitute someone in like another attacking option because he did have Saul on the bench. I'm looking at the 60th minute, no Saul, 70th minute, no Saul. And I'm saying, where is Saul? And I don't know, maybe this is something similar to Don Smart and he was injured and was like, Hey, I can only give you 10 good minutes, you know, when we're chasing a goal, you know, what Don Smart had to do in his semifinal match. But I just did not understand why there wasn't a Saul uh, substitution, especially because, you know, for J.J. Donnelly, even though he's good at holding up the ball, he wasn't contributing as much. Right. He had lost more. He had lost 16 duels. And if you're going to have someone that's out there to you know, have these 50-50 balls or, ha- or be a hold-up person, you can't lose 16 duels uh, and only have seven accurate passes, right? You have to have somebody that has the ability to create something. And when you saw Carlos Gomez have those two great chances, like you said, in the 64th and 68th minute, that was a sign, okay, we're getting these chances. We just need someone who's better at finishing them. And that's when I, w- I would have loved to see Saul come in during that time. Yeah, I, I think he w- really would have helped. But, you know, instead... Um... You know, it, instead, at the end of the day, you wound up having the first sub was, you know, Tanner Tessman came. I, and I think John Hart has done everything right. I wouldn't be shocked to find out that Saul was injured. Yeah, I, I mean, that that very well may be. Um, or he was thinking maybe if we do score, we're going to go into extra time and we need it because he didn't yeah. admit that a few of his players were, were cramping. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's possible, too, that he wanted to give these guys 40 minutes. But that. The one thing and, I want to say, and, that, and in fairness, they they had their chances. So, oh yeah, that sixty fourth yeah. minute, Carlos Gomez chance. I was on the plane and I yelled out loud, "That's a goal!" Because he has scored time and time again in that exact same way to where Greenville has played on the side, have put it in, and then he is wide open by himself in the middle of the box towards the top, and he has all this time, and I think he rushed it. I don't think he realized how wide open he was because normally what he does is he'll either one touch it by running into it with power or he'll stop the ball and then place it a, a, a shot into a corner. This one he kind of just took one time with not a lot of power and I think he didn't know how wide open he was because nine out of ten times he that's in the back of the net for him. 
Yeah, I agree. He and uh, it, uh, we've seen him hit that ball, but instead he just shot it right at Zobek, right? Yeah. And and he didn't even have to make Zobek move. In the 68th, you know, Gomez had another great chance. So it was uh, he did really well. So Muhammad made a really nice run and finds uh, Gomez running in behind, uh, behind uh, close to the near post, and you know Gomez. Yeah, Gomez shoots, but it just went wide uh, again. And then in the 78th minute, uh, Omar Mohammed had a great shot that was also saved by Zobek. So and that, and, and, and that was an incredible. So. That might have been Zobek's best save of a game, in my opinion, because it was just a reaction save. I mean, Mohammed was what maybe seven yards, eight yards in front of the goal. It yep, was. It was in between the six-yard spot and the penalty spot. It so, was. Yeah. In, yeah, it was. It was an incredible reaction save. But I do want to give props to Muhammad. I think he he stepped up in the second half. He was. He kind of wasn't. You know, doing pr- producing a lot in the first half. Um, he created a lot more chances that second half. Three of his four successful dribbles came in that second half. And I think when you saw Greenville's momentum, you know, shift and the Carlos Gomez having these chances. Chances, Bermudez having these chances. Muhammad was the one with his dribbling and able to beat players one on one and take that space. He was the reason that it was happening. So, so props to Muhammad for that second half because he really did step up. Yeah, and they they seem to leave it on the field because he came out in the 88th minute. Robinson came in, and I think yep. he was cramping too. Yep. Um, the the way that he hobbled off off the field. Um, in 88th minute, I. Th- Again, it was another time that I really thought that we were going into extra time because J.J. Donnelly took a great shot. He made a really, really nice turn after getting a pass from who else but Muhammad, right? So I lied. That was the best save. That that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, they, they both were. They were both really good. They were both really, really good saves. But him just getting out that hand, yeah, and like having pretty much people in front of him. No, like JJ kind of just turned. I didn't even. I don't know if anyone expected him to turn and shoot at that speed that he did. Right? No, I, I people, think. I think actually. I think the North Texas defense was thinking hey, he was being covered by Breck Evans, and I'm pretty sure Breck thought that he was going to hold it up and right. like, try to lay it off to someone. And, yeah. Like when you look at Pepe's goal last week. You watch Pepe, he pushes the ball out to give him space so that he can then turn his body, right? Whereas JJ kind of just doesn't push the ball out far at all and just turns his body completely out of nowhere and takes that shot. And it's, to his credit, extremely well-taken shot on target. And Zobek just, I don't know, uses his Puma paws to just come and swap that thing down. So anything else from the final? It was it was an exciting match. If you haven't watched it, you should watch it end to end. Um, it was well worth well worth the effort. Watch for the tactical changes after the goal scored because I think yes. that that's really interesting. You know, I think Can we, yeah. Let's quite, talk about that. Yeah. So qu- quite frankly, I, so I think John Hark's got everything right. Just you know, his team didn't have the, um, you know, just didn't have the finishing touch in front of goal. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what happened. North Texas did what they had to do to disrupt uh, Greenville and make Greenville come at them, particularly after they scored. Um, but uh, yeah, so 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 the one thing that I mentioned already is John Harks went to the three four three. Pushed up, uh, you know, an additional player. Tyler Polak basically came in and played as a third third center back as, in a in that three four three, um, and they pushed up. Um, uh, remind me who the left back was. How come I don't remember his name? 
it was Cole Seiler, of course. Uh, so Cole Seiler was basically played as a, a midfielder, and then they pushed up uh, uh, both Muhammad and uh, Donnelly, of course, was always all, already up there. Um, and Gomez even played a little bit more forward than instead of playing kind of as a second forward, he even played more as a as a striker and winger. So, yeah, I don't know what else they could have done. Now, for... Now, I, I so, think I have something. So yeah, go what, for it. What, Do you want I to think, talk about – we could talk about the note too, but let, why don't you talk about uh, North Texas first? Yeah, I think what happened was – so Greenville, like they came out in the first half and kind of controlled everything. And even with North Texas possession, North Texas was all the way back in their third and like I mentioned had had three passes, you know, not even – like successful passes in Greenville side in the first 10 minutes. I don't even think they had, you know, too many in the box. I think they had three successful passes in the box the whole first half. Right. So I think the major difference in that second half was that North Texas were winning those 50, 50 balls that Greenville was winning in the first half. And to give you an example, North Texas in the second half had eight tackles won compared to Greenville's four tackles won, but it was where they were winning it. So North Texas won six tackles in the midfield all game compared to Greenville's one tackle in the midfield won. And that makes a huge difference for North Texas because now it's not building up from the back and it doesn't make Thomas Roberts go back and collect the ball. Because if you watch, Thomas Roberts was the highest one out of that midfield in the first half, and he was still on his own half of the field, right? He had to keep coming back to collect the ball. But then when North Texas started winning the second balls everything changed and especially thomas roberts i thought he played phenomenal he had the most tackles in the match he was the most fouled player in the match he won the most duels had 52 touches and was never dispossessed and that's extremely important to greenville who is pressing all game and waiting for those mistakes and so i think because north texas were winning those tackles right they won 15 compared to greenville's nine and like i was saying six of them in the midfield it allowed them to be higher up the field which allowed for them to then be able to have one pass go 20 yards and they're already in their final third, right? They would easily pass the ball into the middle to Robert to then be able to push it to the sides. And that's when cre- uh, chances were created. So I think that was a big uh, tactic and momentum swing in the second half in North Texas when they had possession, were in a lot better place than they were in the first half when they had possession. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I think in in general, they were told to try and win those balls more aggressively. I, I think that was something that North Texas was told by Coach Quill in the uh, yep. um, in, in because they, they weren't. They were playing t- more timid in the first half, right? In the second half, they were playing with more energy. Just so, just watch uh, Donzo when he subbed in. Donzo yeah. subs in and immediately steals the ball from Pollock, and then two minutes later wins a, a huge tackle in the midfield against Muhammad, who if he didn't win, looked like Muhammad was going to be on the run. And like I was saying, Muhammad in the second half was probably Greenville's best player, especially when he was taking on people one-on-one, because when he was in one-on-one situations, he's won three of the four times in the second half. Yeah, uh, Romero had a quietly good game as well for North Texas. So when he was taken off in the 80th, I, I think that that was obviously a, a, a tactical uh, substitution where they want to dance so just to have some speed on and uh, you know maybe try to bring the ball to the corner yeah. but I but I want to say that something and you couldn't really see it on the ESPN broadcast but right around the 65th minute uh, Breck Evans who is the captain of North Texas was given a note and he looked at that note maybe four times in like a two or three minute period and we don't know what happened to it I don't know if he put it in a sock he ate it like it was some <laughs> secret message that occurred 
And uh, so, so anyway, he was he was given this this note, and basically they made a tactical formation shift to try and deal with the, um, the to, to try and deal with the change that that Coach Harks had made to his formation. So, um, so it was a little bit unclear, you know, what it said, you know, but Coach Quill, you know, they they weren't giving away their secrets. Um, in in fact, uh, Coach Quill tried to play a little coy, like what was it? But we all saw it, right? <laughs> Breck Evans was like he held it out in front of him and was trying to was trying to read it several times and you know but it worked like whatever they did you know it 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 worked enough that the chances that uh that greenville had they were high quality chances right the two gomez chances and 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 the muhammad chance in particular um before the before the last substitutions came in i think they were um you know they they were better individual efforts, and it wasn't necessarily because of any tactical change that uh, North Texas did. Um, I think once once Danso came in, in particular, you know whatever formation they had, kind of just just changed and went out the window anyway, because they they basically made a um, made a whole formation change when when that uh, when that substitution yeah, was made. The formation change was sickum because Danso just was attacking <laughs> everyone yeah. he could and it was winning. You know he was just like I said he. The first thing he did within the first ten seconds he was in the game was take that ball from Pollock. So, yeah. So, congratulations to North Texas SC, the inaugural USL League One champions. One of the things that their captain Breck Evans noted is, hey, their jersey will be in the Hall of Fame forever as the original champions because they have the champions of all the original, prof- all the current professional leagues as well as the NASL and and all of the uh the original champions jerseys in there mm, so a, a jersey you swore was sold out for me it was cool, cool. It was. Thanks, oh Zach. come on give me a break <laughs> i try i want to get one for myself too uh, and i couldn't do that and so, in the spirit in the spirit of giving people credit who don't you know get too much shine i want to shout out colin montgomery i think he played a fantastic game had the most passes in the game uh, 15 accurate long balls, won eight of his 12 duels on the ground, won five of his seven aerial duels, which was extremely important because North Texas was being dominated in the air that first half. And so when Greenville started crossing the ball and tried to change up ways to score since they were shooting and it wasn't going in, he was winning those aerial duels. So that was important. Uh, three clearances. Uh, usually when you don't hear a, C- a center back's name, it's a good reason. And I think that's why we didn't hear a lot of Montgomery's name because he was doing what he was supposed to do. Greenville only successful on two of their 14 crosses during the during the match. There you go. When we come back, we'll be speaking with Ryan Madden, the vice president of communications for the USL. Stay with us. Registration is now open for the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. Make your plans to join us January 15th through the 19th for five days of coaching education, networking, meal and social functions, award presentations, and more. Register before December 11th to secure the best rate. Visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org to learn more. The United Soccer Coaches Convention, your event for all things coaching. Welcome back to League One Fun. Jason, we have a special guest tonight. His name is Ryan Madden. He's the vice president of communications for the United Soccer Leagues. Ryan, are you down in Tampa or are you traveling around the country to some games? What's going on, guys? I am back from having seen a couple games this past weekend in Tampa, back at home with the family. Um, happily so, too, I might add. 
Well, thanks very much for being on League One Fun once again to do our season wrap up. So, so first, I have to ask: describe your initial reaction to the season, uh, the inaugural season of USL League One. Initial reactions. Yeah, look, I mean, it was terrific. It was something new. Um, there's a lot of people who worked incredibly hard to to build this thing from scratch, and I think to see it come to fruition and be successful over the course of an entire season, that's that's something um, really, really special. You know, if, if you look across the league, maybe the thing that we take the most pride in is just that these clubs have become sort of invaluable parts of the communities they call home right real community assets and their stadiums have become gathering places i think the the standard on the field was high a lot of people came out to watch the competition from start to finish was sensational um and it was all capped off with a great final this past weekend ira you you were there you got to see it and then um you know, as a as a league, uh, we'll take some time to reflect. I know we already see some some areas and, and some room for improvement, and and we'll get that done. But we couldn't ask uh, more from a first year. What was your your highlight? Uh, your number one just highlight of the season, uh, personally. My number one highlight. You ask me. You always ask me tough questions, man. <laughs> you asked me about um, Tribe Call Quest versus Wu Tang last time. Oh, we got that coming later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'll, look, I'll give you. I don't have one, but I'm going to give you two. Um, I think the first goal and the last goal. Um, watching from home. Uh, that first game in Statesboro and, and seeing the the home side go a, a goal to the good. I, I think it was Alex Morrell um, mm-hmm. and the celebrations that followed and you could see what it meant. And it was so gratifying to see the league up and running in that way. Um, it was real and it was alive and, and it was exciting. Um, so I, I remember that with, with a tremendous amount of fondness. And then I think um, to end it with the you know the league's golden boots scoring and then <laughs> sprinting the full length of the field to celebrate with the North Texas supporters, knowing that they had probably just clinched the title and that the season was coming to an end and and uh, doing so on a very very positive note. That was that was fun. So look, the first goal, the last goal, and um, all the flamingo tweets in between. <laughs> oh, was that was that a Freudian slip there? Do do we know Arturo Rodriguez was not the golden boot? He won the assist leader. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just uh, drop that he was going to be the MVP of the league? Which, oh, if he's not, Jason and I are going to stop the podcast. Oh, yeah. right well, away. well, we can throw hands right now, Ryan. Just, so just <laughs> let me know. I'll I'll fly to Tampa. <laughs> Sorry, no, no problem. Uh, so so obviously that was you know those are some great highlights for sure. Um, so besides the Lansing situation, was there anything that you know you or or folks at the league were were kind of either disappointed at or or something that you know tangibly you think that uh, that teams or the league need to do better next year? Yeah, that's a that's a really fair question. I mean, I'll, I'll start there. Look, first and foremost, um, we are disappointed in the Lansing situation and, and wish they could have been back with us for our second year. There are a, a ton of good people who spent a lot of time trying to make that situation work. I think a lot of whom you guys have probably got to know over the course of the last year. So so yes, we we're very disappointed in that. But look, when you when you come to work every day at an organization whose mission it is to grow the game, to grow the sport of soccer at all levels across this country, I think you have to to stay focused on the positives. And, and look, in, in League One, there are a ton of them. You know, I, I think about I think about Tormenta. I think about a club who that I would argue is more closely bound to the community it resides in than just about any other at any level 
in any part of the United States. You know, you remember the Lucas Coutinho situation earlier this year and the way the club and the community rallied around him. You know, they're a family down there and they have the support of everyone in Statesboro, not to mention they're competitive on the field too. And they're building a soccer specific stadium. You have Madison who is as progressive as they come um, and who has built one of the most unique and fun supporters cultures in the United States or in North America and who backed up all of the hype, all of the all of the tweets, all of the the promise, and all, all of the digital engagement with a playoff appearance. Um, Greenville, coached by one of the country's all-time greats, well supported locally, and and who, if not for I think a tremendous goalkeeping display last weekend, might have might have been League One champions. Chattanooga, new stadiums being built. Oh, Omaha coming in next season with one of the coolest brands in American soccer. Season tickets flying off the shelves. Local legend coaching the team and Jay Mims. They're going to be competitive in year one. I have no doubt. Richmond, historic club, one of the most historic in the entire United States. Cool stadium, beautiful city, tremendous local support. Joe Gallardo, who scored some of the best goals the league saw this season, and then the MLS two teams like Inter Miami, David. Beck team coming in with a new brand, a new stadium, a point to prove. New England, who's experiencing this kind of renaissance of sorts at the first team level and who will bring with them um, experience in Kurt Anolfo and company and building U.S. clubs from scratch. The champions of North Texas, the best team in the league this season. Um, Orlando B is upgrading their facility for next year. Toronto, too, who were competitive, very competitive at times this season, who, who I know, who I have no doubt will come back even stronger. So I, I know your question was about uh, what are we maybe disappointed in, and, and Lansing certainly is something that we're disappointed in. But outside of that, it's it's only focus on the positives, man. So with that, and just to get it out the way, you know, to talk about Lansing, I know. In the comms department, things might be different, but because people want to know, I have to, you know, I have to ask. We know there's been rumors about Lansing was originally wanting to join in 2020, but the league wanted them to join earlier, and because of that, that might have played a part into not being properly prepared, as well as obviously the owner expecting a wildly ridiculous amount of attendance and other expectations. Do you, can you speak on any of that? Do you know of any of that? I read the Lansing State Journal piece that you're talking about, Jason, but in terms of, of what recommendations were made, um, whether those are real and why or why not they were heated, I, I don't. I, I wasn't, um, I'm not trying to, to punt on you, but I wasn't yet with the organization when when, when that was going, going on. And quite frankly, I, I just don't know much about that situation or don't know enough about that situation to speak fluently on it. Okay. So then let's let's go ahead then and let, let's talk about the positives. One thing that I think was amazing this year was a product on the field and individual players, right? And more so players that we might not have heard of if this league did not exist. Your Connor Antleys, your Nick Moons. Right. Have you heard any rumblings of USL championship teams or MLS teams looking to bring up players? I know we saw a couple of um, t- players in Toronto and North Texas go to MLS teams, yeah. but also, how does that process work? Because I think a lot of us, including myself, don't necessarily know, is that something that it's just it's team oriented or does the team have to share with the league as far as to making that acquisition work? Can you kind of go through it and then maybe give us if there's been any rumblings of some players we'll see moving up? Yeah, well, look, I can I can, I can assure you that when uh, a championship for MLS club is looking to sign a player, they don't they don't call me first. Uh, <laughs> I can guarantee you that. But um you know, look, I said it earlier, the standard was incredibly high this season. So 
um, yes, I am 100% certain that both USL Championship and MLS teams are looking at League One talent this year. Um, you've already seen it, as you mentioned. You know, you think about Pepe in North Texas, who, who you know, played first team games this season um, and, and kind of proved himself in League One. It happened with a few other clubs around around the league, and I think you'll see some some movement from, from League One to the championship this season. I, I really don't have any doubt about that. So uh, looking at the future, you know, we know that right now there'll be 12 teams in the league because, uh, from the announced teams. Um, so the, are we expecting any additional, uh, any additional teams to be either coming down from the championship when, when their season ends? So, so kind of what might we expect for 2020 in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, number of teams? Something very close to where we are today. Um, and then we'll have additional growth heading into the 21 season. So, um, you know, we will we will continue to grow year over year. We'll grow in 20, we'll grow in 21, we'll grow in 22. Um, but I, I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable giving a, an exact number for each of those years. So, very close or exact? <laughs> <laughs> um, very close. Okay. Uh, okay. Good. See, that that's enough, right? That gives us a little bit of something. Exact. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> uh, see now, now you're just you, now you're just teasing us. All right. Well then, uh, well, <laughs> well let let me ask this then. Yeah. You know, we talk about the growth in 2021. Uh, you know, Penn F, Penn is one of those teams that was announced. Rochester. Uh, when the conference gets big enough, do you feel that the league is going to, or when the league gets big enough, do you feel that the league would split into conferences? Possibly, is it going to be like a regional thing, the way that League Two is set up? Like, have you guys talked about how you envision? Uh, what the league will look like once it gets big? Well, just to be, I mean, totally candid, I can only share what, what I know. I, I haven't heard any conversations about a, a, a regionalized League Two style sort of mapping of the United States. But I think um, when the league is is big enough and mature enough, I think conferences are, are absolutely a possibility. Um, now, to be fair, that really would be a better question for, for Stephen Short. Um, Stephen's our senior vice president. He runs the league day to day. He's hard at work on that stuff. And when the when the time is right to to make those decisions, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he'll knock them out of the park. But um, we can't get to that point until we see um, some more strategic incremental growth in, in both 20 and in 21 and then possibly in 22. But um, I, I think that when we get to a certain number, um, conferences, a conference setup would would certainly become viable. So I'm going to go a little bit off script here, and I'm yeah. going to ask you from from being, you know, the vice president of communications for yeah. the, for you know the whole all of all of USL. What are the the shared things between the leagues that you guys do from a communications perspective? Like, you know, we always see tweets for each league, and we see, um, yeah. you know, different product on the websites for each league. Um, but but what what is the shared type of uh, of information that you try to get out to people, and uh, and and how do you do that with the communication between the different leagues? Basically, Iris asking why the hell Orlando City B can't tweet anything. I, I guess I think that's what Iris <laughs> trying to ask. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to take Iris' question. So, uh, so, look, when we we have some staff 
that are dedicated to League One entirely. Um, you know, I think about Casey Mills, who is our operations person. I think about Sarah Cardamone, who is head of communications for League One, and Stephen, who runs the league on a day-to-day basis. And then outside of that, it's it's really um, a sharing of, of, of talent and resources. We have shared web team, um, shared social team, shared graphic design and creative services team. Um, so we're all we're all working together. We're all rowing the boat in the same direction. We do have certain standards that, that we request of the clubs, and, and those are reviewed and then um, handed back out to each of the clubs on an annual basis. And, and we'll so, go so what that what that means, Jason, is there might be some scolding going on. Yeah, it should be. <laughs> So so we'll 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 look at we'll look at every club we'll we'll provide some feedback and uh and we'll go from there. Uh so outside of me bashing uh Orlando City uh, a couple a couple of things that have happened in League 2 that I've been looking at that I think are great um you know with Asheville recently joining I know one of the things that was released in the press release was their owner pretty much saying hey like we're, yeah. we're glad to become in the league too but yeah. league one that's that's what we wanted from day one and that's what they want to do and they want to make that jump is that something that we can expect in the future that if the league two teams start getting that local support start having that product on the field and kind of prove themselves or with obviously within the stadium limits and have all the requirements is that something that we can start looking forward to some league two teams making the jump I think yes, um, for sure. Look, I, you know, you've already seen it in, in Tormenta, right? Um, but but to look, League Two has a philosophy, and they 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 stick to it. It's this idea of, of path to pro, and in the past, it's always been attributed to players um, and players using League Two as a pathway to become professionals. And there's an obscene statistic about the per, you know percentage of um, MLS draftees that have spent time with League in USL League Two, but that ethos of Path the Pro is expanding, and it's expanding um, outside of just players, but to technical staff, to front office management, and I think what you'll see is more and more to clubs entirely as the um, sort of structure solidifies with championship league one and league two. I think you will see teams that are using league two, which is a, a tremendous league in its own right, but also as, as being a, a pathway to, to joining the full professional ranks of league one. And, and Asheville is a perfect example. They've already expressed interest. They have a, a vibrant fan base. They're in a, a cool community and they have professional soccer aspirations. They just want to do it in a in a smart, strategic way. So they're going to start in League Two and then um, see where that takes them. But but to answer your question, yeah, absolutely. I think I think we will see more League Two teams make the jump over time. Uh, so I, I like that idea and I hope actually if Asheville does move up to League One that they also keep their League Two team similar to Tormenta, you know, just having their their own second team as a natural progression for and, uh, for local talent. For and sure. I think they have the academy to do it. That's one thing that yeah. Asheville is known for. They have a great academy. And I think that, yeah, I think having that system uh, similar to what Tormenta is doing is exactly what every team needs to be reaching to do. Yeah, yeah I, I think and I think more and more teams will get there. 
So there are there any rumblings or like plans to do? I, I know there's plans to do a league cup at some point in the future between the championship and and at least the uh, league one. Um, any interleague matches outside of the open cup that uh, you know maybe some some teams are planning for next year that yeah. aren't the this was, uh, this was a, a question we got a lot from listeners. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, look, we've talked publicly about the possibility of a of an interleague cup, which would. I think be really cool a platform for League One and Championship teams to fight for a trophy every year. And I think the more um, the more opportunities that we can give, not just League One clubs but Championship clubs, a, ch- a chance to lift some silverware is a is a good thing. It's what players, coaches, and, and fans all thrive on. So um, it's still conceptual at this point. So I, I don't have a, a rollout year for you, but it's absolutely something that we're talking regularly about and that we'd like to get done um, sooner than later. And, and speaking of fan questions, uh, one from Jackson Popkin, as yeah. this as this league grows, and I know you said that, you know, things might be different. Maybe this is a question better asked to Steven. Do yep. you think that the playoff formatting will change? So if we go from, you know, 12 to 16 teams, you know, we're growing past that, et cetera. I'm, I'm assuming there has to be some kind of a playoff change, right? It's not something that um, that it's not a conversation that I've been privy to, but I would have to believe that as more and more teams come into this league, as we grow, as we expand beyond 15, 20, 25 teams, that um, absolutely the the playoff format would adapt to accommodate that growth over time for sure. And so is that is that, you know, I don't. You, you give an example, 2025. Is that something that the league is really aiming for, for there to be as many teams in League One as there are in championship? Yeah, you know, I think b- before the season, we've we talked about, um, you know, the, the, the possibility that over time, even some championship teams may may find it in their best interest to. Um, kind of recalibrate and, and come down to League One. And so the, the the total number of teams currently participating in the championship may drop. So I wouldn't use that exact number as a, as a point of reference of where um, presumably we'd like to take League One. But but yeah, man, look, this thing's going to keep growing every single year. You know, I, and, I, and I don't have an exact number for you, but it's going to grow this year. It's going to grow even more next year. And it, it's probably going to grow even more than that um the year following so it's um it's it's on an upward trajectory and and more and more teams are going to keep coming into this league and and as they do the competitive format whether it's interleague cups whether it's um conference play whether it's uh expanded playoff formats all of that will be taken into account and it'll all it'll all change and grow to accommodate the growing number of teams so we had a question from RVA is red, uh, and you know you can probably argue that that the league isn't doing this, but the question is: Is the league still focusing on creating regional rivalries? Currently, Richmond and Tucson don't have anyone around them, so yeah, you know it's hard for them to have a uh, a natural local rivalry. But uh, do you have any comments about that? You guys probably know this better than anyone, but rivalries don't happen because leagues impose them. You know, like that's not. That's not that's not an authentic representation of how rivalries start. I mean, we want to make sure that um, 
we want to make sure that these things are happening organically and naturally and that when they do, then we're able to to capitalize and make sure that we're making the most out of the experience for those fans who have created the rivalry themselves. So over time, I think you'll see regional rivalries probably start to naturally occur more often as more teams come into the league and as the league grows. But we're not sitting around um in a conference room you know deciding who's going to be rivals with who we don't we don't necessarily control that the the players control it the supporters control it the communities themselves control it let me expand on that though so when we are looking at new teams so for instance i think i I 100 agree what you're saying about rivalries but it's also tough for rivalries to form when those fans can't make those away trips right so so when you are looking at bringing in new teams to the league are you looking at richmond on the map and saying okay are there cities around richmond that fit within our criteria that we can bring in so that helps with the regional rivalries it helps with being able to have away days it helps with you know kind of you know bringing those communities together there's um there's an element of that yeah, there's an element of that, you know, uh, but it's um, it's more about bringing the right communities in. Um, you know, it's about having quality local ownership groups. It's about having organizations that are committed to building or or putting their teams in soccer specific stadiums. It's um, about having a, a proven appetite for the game in your local market. And if those if those three primary factors that we look for in an expansion market um, are available to us in a in a relative distance to another team, um, so that we can ensure that those visiting supporters have the opportunity to make the trip to at least one game um, per season, knowing that traveling across the United States can get a bit pricey, then um, absolutely, it's something that that we'll consider as part of our expansion strategy. Great. So for our penultimate question tonight, yeah, what are you looking forward to the most for USL League One in 2020? Man, that's a great that's a great question. I think just getting better. You know, we're all we're all in this together. The league, the clubs, the players, the staff, the supporters, and on on every single front, um, I know we'll collectively get better each and every season. I I work in communications and PR, so so I look forward to helping to hopefully elevate this league um, on a national level um, more so than we did in year one and then more so in year three than in year two. And that for personally for me is a is a wonderful opportunity. Um, so look, I think collectively the, the sky's the limit and we're always looking forward to finding new ways to improve and engage with people and, and elevate ourselves. But um, I don't know, you know, coming to coming to I said I think I said it to you last time we talked, but coming to work every day with the opportunity to to grow a league from scratch, that's a that's a pretty cool, unique and and fulfilling opportunity. Um, but you if you don't mind, quick question for you guys. I mean, tell me what um what have your kind of biggest takeaways of 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 year one been? When you guys reflect on the season as a whole, what's the kind of the the you know, the good and then and then the room for improvement? Jason, why don't you take it first? Yeah, so I think like what you were saying, I think that the big thing that reflected off for me is is the way that these teams have integrated within the community and have been a part of the community, right? So even when you look at Greenville, they're having a 
uh, Top Golf night on Thursday, I believe, to where the fans get to come and greet the players and congratulate them on the season. And there's going to be food and free golf. And it's just like you're not seeing that with teams, right? And when you do see that with teams, it's usually like one or two players. But for this to have the whole team and have the fans, you know, greet them at the bus after the championship losses to show that they still appreciate them, uh, to see everything that Tormenta does. Ian Chattanooga visiting the hospitals and doing their charity funds. Like, that's really important to me because I feel like that's how you grow long-term fan bases when people feel that the team is a part of the community. Um, so I think that was the biggest positive for me. Uh, the negative is uh, there's not enough celebrations. There's not enough swag. Like I know like Lansing had a lot of good ones. You know, they, yeah. they broke out some break dancing. Uh, Joey, when he scored, he made sure he showed off. But I, I, mean, I need some more attitude in this league. Okay. <laughs> I think I, you need I think, some more spicy soccer. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, for for me, I agree with everything that Jason said. I, I think for me, it's more that filling out the both the soccer pyramid, but also filling in a lot of the gaps in the geography of the United States. And I hope that you know, there's a lot of space still on the map when you look at the map i i spent some time when i was in frisco for the final at the uh at the national soccer hall of fame and they have the map of all the professional teams throughout the throughout the country both on the men's and women's side and there's still a lot of areas that are are very um are, are very sparsely populated with with professional teams so i hope that we can keep on going there but but by finding places like uh in, in like statesboro having a team we found connor antley Right. He would have gone through the cracks had he not uh, played or even guys like Nick Moon uh, would have been would have been overlooked. And these are these are players that, you know, probably deserve get, just given their their talent and how hard they obviously work this season. Um, clearly, you know, deserve a shot maybe at a higher level. So um, so, so I really like that. Um, I, I think for the negative, it, the, the single negative, I, I, you know, it has to be Lansing. It's just so disappointing because they were starting to build something really uh, really big there. So I hope that we can avoid um, we can avoid um, issues like that in the future with with owners, you know, not being committed to multi-year um, multi-year projects that. So. Yeah. No, look, I, I couldn't. I mean, look, I, I, I couldn't agree with that more. We um, we feel that our, we, we really do. You know, we are um, we're incredibly disappointed ourselves. But how about on a um, on like a from a communications or, or sort of just where the league is positioned in the amount of attention it got on, on a on a national or on a local level do you you guys have any thoughts on kind of um uh, on anything that that you guys believe that that we can or should be doing to help elevate this league on a on a bigger and brighter stage well i think uh, it's, oh, go, go ahead, go ahead. Right. yeah i was just going to say that i think on a for from a national perspective i think it's it's difficult to um, it, it's difficult to do that because the, the season overlaps so much with things like uh, MLS and, and obviously USL Championship. But I, I think that when you you know when you get you know plays on, like Elma N4 on Sports Center and things like that, that people understand that there is this yeah. third division. It, it's hard though because when you go to England, even for example, like uh, the only people who care about US uh, about the EPL League One and, and League Two are the localities where they have teams. So I think that that's the important thing, which goes back to what Jason mentioned, is just the integration within the communities where you have teams. And if we have 25 or 30 teams in the league, eventually that winds up being a very large geographic 
geographic region and and a non-trivial portion of the population as well. So I think, uh, yeah. you know, so I think the smart expansion that you guys are, are attempting is probably really good. And I hope that owners will, will see that there is a lot of value to having teams in their local communities. And I think that's the single biggest, uh, um, I think that's probably the single biggest issue that, that you know, we're going to have as the league expands. Jason. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would also just say putting accountability on some of the teams when it comes to their communication, right? I think it's hard for fans to get involved or to build around a team that's not really putting out content or doesn't really seem integrated or actually you know proud of what they're doing right i think with ford and what madison did so many people jumped onto that and was cared so much because of the quality of the content that yeah. you know kuba and the team were putting out out there right they they were on top of it on social media they were on top of it with community content right whether it's delivering chocolate chip cookies you know and so just things like that makes people in the town see that and go you know what i think i'm gonna go check out a game this team seems fun they seem like they care about the community so if there's not any real showcase of that especially on a you know it starts with a locally right so whether it's social media whether it's within the town um if there's anything if it's not there then it's hard to progress that into a national standpoint right and so ford i think got to that national standpoint because they started there early right with the integrating of the community with them signing local players with their social media push um you know and lansing did the same even like with their uh jersey sponsor being local it's just one of our jersey designer being local it's just one of those things that i think the league if they can put more more accountability on those teams to really push that right really kind of say hey what are you guys doing to build this brand in both your community and to an organic traffic that would be you know incentivized to want to actually watch this team and want to grow with this team yeah look, I, think that's, I think that's fair i mean look we'll at the end of at the end of this year in the coming weeks we'll we'll ultimately sit down with with every club's communication staff and and talk about um exactly what you're talking about right now, the importance of of having a, a brand voice on social media, of, of connecting with the local community through those platforms, of maintaining a consistent presence through the off season, a time where it's kind of easy to go a little dark and make sure, um, making sure that, 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 that they're steady throughout the course of that time. I think you're right about Madison. You know, they, they did develop a gen, like a genuinely organic national presence just through the creation of unique and compelling social media content, and it's amazing. And then they followed that up by taking some real risk, um, risks in the in the jersey uh, kit design space that, and they absolutely knocked that out of the park. So, um, you know, I think what you'll see is having gone through this this first year. Uh, I think the teams will all sort of take inventory. They'll look around at, at what the other clubs did well, and, and they'll start. Um, applying those best practices to their own operations, so um, I think I think it's uh, it's only going to get only going to get better on that front for sure. And you know, one of the things I'm I'm proud of from a league standpoint, and, and something that I I hope we can continue to do next season and in the years after that. But I, I you know I really enjoyed um, that one documentary series that we did this year. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. I think those were really good. You know, we we went and and kind of explored soccer in these communities and the, the intersection between um, 
you know, the, the, the club and the community and, and kind of how the community, how the clubs are binding themselves and, and some of the unique storylines that are emanating from those clubs. And I think packaged it in kind of a cool, creative way. So um, there are so many of those stories that, that I look around the league and, and think maybe, you know, maybe we, we could have told. And um, looking ahead to next year, I think we'll, we'll really put an emphasis on, on that type of storytelling and make sure, making sure that a, a lot fewer of those stories go unearthed. And now everyone sees why Ryan Madden is the vice president of communications for United Soccer League. So when he comes on an independent podcast, he takes over. So, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm interested, man. I don't, I don't, I don't just want to come on and talk. No one actually wants to hear that. I uh, believe it or not, uh, a lot of people do. Yeah. Ryan, thank you very much for coming on League One fun. That was Ryan Madden, right. the vice president. Well, oh, of no, no. oh no! Oh wait, wait! wait. Yeah, no, 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 no. We not. We don't. We don't let him get out here that easy. Uh, Mister, Mister, traveling around oh, yeah. the world. Well, last uh, question. Last yeah, question. you know, I know you're a man into the the older things, but uh, is there any album that <laughs> the what the, the older things? You know, I'm not gonna the season things. I'm not. You know, uh, okay. the the throwbacks. I guess yeah. is what what uh, the old, proper name for it. Uh, on podcast and then calls me. <laughs> Yeah. Is there any album that came out this year, or has there just been an album on rotation that you've had while you've been flying around? All right, I see where you're going. You're right. I do actually stick. Yeah, with, see, stick there with you go. <laughs> no, you were you were spot on. I got overly offensive a little too quick. Um, because you nailed that. Yeah, what's a, a good album that came out this year? You know what I've been playing nonstop is I got a little bit into the um kind of like the UK hip hop scene lately, and, and a, a rapper named Dave put out an album called Psychodrama that is um that is really really good and worth checking out. So if you have a chance. Is it, um, is it grime? That, that play, it's um a little bit. It's got kind of the grime influence, but it's um it's it's probably a little bit more pop and mainstream than than uh than your than your typical grime. But give it a give it a listen, man. You may want to skip uh, it in your next we'll show. See. After I heard uh dude on Drake's album do that Batman voice, I don't I don't know if I can give Grime <laughs> a chance, but I'm gonna try. Uh, just for you, I'll give it a All right, just give it a listen. Just give it and, a listen. And, and one more thing, I know you yeah. might not be on this a council but i'm not gonna we we've been complaining about it all year so especially at the end when you guys released your your best starting 11 show some center backs some respect please (laughs) how you gonna have a best 11 with no center backs so i don't know who's on the committee over there but as as the vice president of communications please communicate to them they need to put some respect on the center backs i promise to pass that along and is a is an aging um sunday league center back myself i'll uh I'll try to get that across the line for you. But hey, la- look, last thing before I go, I just want to, um, I, I do want to extend a, uh, a genuinely sincere thank you on on behalf of everyone at our organization for everything you guys have done this season, your time, your energy, um, the platform you've given us to talk about this league, for covering the league, for driving conversation throughout the league. It's it's very cool. Um, it doesn't go unnoticed. And, and I hope you know how much we appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. You know, we we appreciate that uh, that feedback and and the fact that you guys uh, you guys could both come on the show and and listen. You know, Tampa is one of our higher uh, our higher <laughs> listenership areas. So uh, so cool. finally, that was Ryan Madden, Vice President of Communications for the United Soccer Leagues. Ryan, thanks very much again for coming on League One Fund. My pleasure. Anytime. Let's do it again soon. Thanks, guys. Now go curse out Orlando. <laughs> 
Hey, Jason, let's talk about our schedule, at least up until the United Soccer Coaches Convention in the middle of uh, in the middle of January this year. So uh, so tomorrow, uh, like I mentioned, we're going to have a podcast about Lansing Ignite, uh, where I speak with general manager Jeremy Sampson, uh, where we're going to review the entire life cycle of the club. Um, I'm also probably going to edit my thoughts together for, for a little podcast that will include uh, uh, Eric Quill and John Hark's uh, post-match press conference. That might not be out until the weekend when I can find some time to do some editing. Jason, um, you know, I know you have some stuff in the works. Tell me, what are you working on for the podcast? Yeah, so I'll be interviewing USL's Senior Director of Youth Development, Liam McConnell. Um, for those who don't know, the USL Academy, they had a Western Conference tournament, um, Omaha, already put out an academy team in that tournament and did extremely really? did, well. Did, did, how did they How did they do that? Did they partner with an existing I, I club? I believe so. I believe okay. they partnered with uh, some club teams. But the fact that they've already done that shows how serious that they're taking this, right? That this is something that they're trying to build, get in early and start forming chemistry, start forming uh, their brand and their name within the USL community. So it was great to see. So I'll be talking to him about the tournament, uh, some players who stood out, and then uh, a couple young players already in USL League One uh, that I think are going to be breaking out and kind of the steps of development for them, right? We talk about, you know, Bermudez all, all year, um, but what about, you know, uh, Eric Bergen for FC Tucson, I think came on in the second half was great. So love talking about the development uh, of these teams and how to get them from League Two all the way up until, you know, prop, you know, possibly MLS. Well, that's great. And maybe we'll have uh, we'll do an interview with Stephen at some point in the next couple of weeks. Maybe when you get back from your trip, uh, if you don't know, Jason's taking a, a big trip uh, in the not too distant future. So maybe when you're back, we'll set that up. Yeah. Uh, but we will slow down. Uh, we will put out some content now and again. But until at least after the United Soccer Coaches Convention, we'll probably be a little bit less frequent than our weekly cadence that we've had recently. Jason, anything else to talk about? I just want to thank everybody. I know we're not signing off for, for, you know, we got things coming up, but since it is the end of the season, uh, I want to thank everyone from, you know, USL headquarters to the supporters groups, to the teams, to the comm managers that we worked with, uh, to the listeners. You know, I take a lot of time out of my free time to do this. I'm usually up until 3 a.m. working on research or writing articles. And, you know, I do this for the love of the game and to support local soccer. And so, you know, to see you guys as passionate about it, to see you guys, you know, give feedback and actually read and listen to what we have to say and talk about nerdy stuff, you know, I really appreciate it. And it gives me that motivation to know I'm not alone in this. And so I, I just want to personally thank all you guys who support us. Yeah, ditto for me. And if you have any suggestions for us about how to make the show better, things that you'd like to see, people you think that we should try and talk to, that you'd like to have us interview, um, you know, please let us know. Uh, our DMs are open. You can, uh, you know, we, we prefer Twitter, but if you want to reach out otherwise, we also have, uh, you can reach us at league1fun at gmail.com. That's league, the number one fun at gmail.com, which is our Twitter handle at gmail, right? So it's pretty yeah. easy to remember. All right. So, Jason, where can people connect with you? You can connect with me at Home Sweet Soccer. And I can be found at Ira Jersey. And you can connect with the show at League One. That's League and the number one fun. 
Thank you for listening, and please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, and go to bgn.fm for all the other great soccer podcasts out there and written content covering USL League One, USL Championship, USL League Two, NWSL. Hey, finals for NWSL coming up this weekend down in North Carolina. Uh, so check out th- that written content as well as uh, the uh, the Mix Zone podcast talking about that. They also talk <clears throat> on bgn.fm about Major League Soccer and much more. Thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier of Major League Soccer, United Soccer Leagues, and U.S. Soccer. Get your custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Until next time, hashtag support local soccer. All right, you need a, you need a drink? You sound a little out of breath at the end of that. <laughs>